0: So we're starting in Mark chapter 1 at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark writes, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced someone's coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. May the Lord open his word to our hearts. So, uh, as I said, new series. We're looking at the Jesus Revolution starting in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And the thing is that every good story has a good beginning, right? Like, there's something about the beginning of a good story. You can probably think of some of the lines from the beginning of your favorite movies or your favorite books. Um, I always think of uh, Tale of Two Cities, you know, Charles Dickens. It's the. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and it kind of sets the scene. And that story is about revolution too, but a little different. And so every story begins a little differently. And as we start to read our Bibles in the New Testament and the story of Jesus, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The, the four Gospels. And uh, they all tell the story a little differently. There's, there's overlapping stories, but there's things that they, uh, that they choose. And so they include certain stories and they leave other stories out. Sometimes they put a story at the beginning of their story of Jesus and sometimes they put it near the end. They're not trying to tell us a chronological account in every case. They're kind of grouping things by, by themes or, or by uh, things that they're trying to teach us about. And so it's kind of telling where they put things in the story. And, and so the beginning of the story like that has some significance to it. Uh, Mark's gospel is the earliest gospel. And so it's the one that was written first. Matthew, uh, Matthew and Luke both tell baby stories about Jesus. They talk about uh, the, the story that we always read at Christmas. So we're always reading from Matthew and Luke, and, and so they tell about Jesus, you know, birth in the manger. That they traveled uh, to to. Bethlehem and by donkey and the the birth there and and all of that story so they unwrap that birth narrative they tell stories about his childhood and and the trips to the temple and the things that happened there and they set up the story that way um, John John goes even further back John tries to outdo those other two dudes and he goes I'm not going to just start with them as a baby I'm going to start with them like eternity ago like when the foundation of the universe was was laid when when God started creating Jesus was there and everything was made for him and by him like John starts way way back from from those stories in Bethlehem and so there's those three different approaches that follow up but Mark Mark is the earliest gospel It's the shortest gospel, and Mark dives right in. Mark doesn't bother with the birth narratives, as significant as those are. He doesn't tell us, like Matthew, about Jesus' genealogy, like like who's in his family tree, and that he's a descendant of David. You know, there's these seven generations, and then these seven generations, and then comes Jesus. He doesn't start there. He jumps right in with our, our story this morning, and he just says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet uh, Isaiah had written. And so he begins his story, he says, this is the beginning of the story. It's not the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, but it's the beginning of the story for Mark. He says, here's where we need to jump in on this. Here's how this happened. Here's this big, significant event. So Jesus is already a grown man, and, and he says, here's how it starts. It starts with John the Baptist. And so he starts to say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he'll prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Like John the Baptist is getting things ready for the Messiah to come. And that was how that Isaiah passage was understood. It's talking about the Messiah. And so Mark skips all the birth stuff and he says, look, it starts with John. It starts with John in the desert, but there's things that he chooses even there. So he says, it's a good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he'll prepare your way. And it's interesting the details he mentions and doesn't mention about John. First of all, John the Baptist, we know, because we've read the other stories at Christmas, we know that his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are related to, to Mary and, and, and Joseph. And so th- there's a family connection. John is actually Jesus' cousin. And we don't hear that. We don't hear about about Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus going to visit Elizabeth who was pregnant with John and nobody knew Mary was pregnant because she's young and she's unmarried and, and that would have been scandalous. And she shows up and Elizabeth says, you know, blessed is the child of your womb. Like she supernaturally knew that Mary was pregnant and blesses that baby, knows there's something important about that baby that's coming. But Mark doesn't get into any of that. There's no talk of his miraculous birth, no talk of his being a cousin of Jesus or, or Mary's visit to Elizabeth because Elizabeth and Va- Zachariah, very old, not expected to have kids, but they have John. And so the story, as we see it, we've got this guy, this wild man, John, in the desert. And so the first picture we get of him is a guy who's, who's if you, you can picture it, it's pretty graphic. He's wearing camel hair for clothes in the desert, I've been to the desert, not that desert, but a desert, and it's pretty hot in the desert. But he's wearing camel hair, and and he's got a leather belt around his waist, and he's eating locusts and honey. He's not a regular dude, right? And so this messenger, John, dressed like a wild man, is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. And so he's setting things up. He's paving the way for the revolution Jesus is about to begin. And, and, and so things are, are kind of set like that. When, when Roxanne was a, a teacher... She taught at a Christian school, but they still learned history. They learned Canadian history. And every year, she used to take uh, her grade 7, 8 class to Kingston, and they'd do this whole thing. And, and she took them to this fort, and they would sleep in the fort, and they'd be told all kinds of stories about the soldiers there, and they'd kind of picture the lifestyle and picture what these soldiers, you know, involved in, in uh, revolution were all about. And so they'd sleep in a dormitory in the fort and they told them ghost stories about prisoners held there during the rebellion of 1837 and it seems that the poor settlers of Upper Canada marched on York, because York was the big bad wolf, right? You know what York is, it was Toronto. They were the villains of the story. Not much has changed in Canada, I guess. (laughs) And So the system of government then, like now, favored the upper class citizens. And so the poor settlers rose up and they said, we're not going to take it anymore. And there was revolution and they're going to fight the power and they're going to free themselves from their oppressors. And so the guards at the fort are telling them about the spirit of these prisoners were there that were imprisoned during that war and telling them stories about, about their fight and their struggle. <clears throat> because power is kind of a strange thing. And when you've got the power, you feel like you deserve it. And when you don't have the power, you're craving for the power. Maybe not power over other people, but at the very least the power to make your own decisions, to do what you need to do, to go where you need to go, to have a successful life, to have a a content life, to have your needs met. And so there are revolutions all through the history of humankind of, of people who were the underdogs, who were being oppressed and taken advantage of and being exploited and and then they'd had enough and they they said that's it and we're gonna fight back and even if we're against overwhelming odds and even if they have the power now we're gonna wrestle back our own power and we're gonna free ourselves and we're gonna do anything we need to to get out from under our oppressors and so to set the stage for our understanding of this Jesus revolution, you got to understand that the Israelites were in this place where they were being severely oppressed. There was a power in the world that was pushing in on them. The entire empire was against them, and they were just a little peon nation that had no power. And so they had to do what they were told, and they had to settle in. (coughs) And so the empire looked down their nose at them and and had their boot on their neck, and they were the ones that had to just fall in line. And so the Israelites were always looking to get out from under their Roman oppressors. They were looking for ways to get free. They were waiting for a revolution to come. And if you back up the story even further, uh, one of the to the end of the Old Testament if you if you read the Old Testament stories of the way that God had dealt with them long before Jesus was born when you get to the end of the Old Testament it says in uh, one of the last things that God had said through the prophet Malachi that's the last book in the Old Testament if you flip to Matthew and then you know take a left turn and go a little further back you'll find that last chapter And, and in Malachi's uh, book in chapter 3 verse 1 it says look i'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way for me then the lord you are seeking will suddenly come from his to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly it surely it's surely coming, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. It's like God saying, look, I'm, I'm the Lord of Heaven's armies, and one day this figure will come, this Messiah will come, this hero, this rescuer, the one that you're waiting for, the one that you're looking for. That's like almost the last thing that, uh, that you find written in the book of Malachi. And then if you flip one more chapter to chapter 4, Chapter three is the second last chapter. Then later in Malachi, it says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. So there's this setup, right? There's this, this is what's gonna happen. This is his last word. And, uh, and then the rabbis said <clears throat> that God had had enough of this cycle of them always kind of falling off the wagon and straying from God and doing their own thing and not living according to the covenant and treating widows and orphans poorly and and finding other gods to worship and all these things that they'd fallen off and they'd they'd done that they knew were evil. And then God would correct them. He'd send, first it was the judges and then it was the prophets. And the prophets would say, smarten up. You need to repent of that. You need to change your ways. Here's what you're doing wrong. And so they'd gotten themselves in trouble and they cry out and the prophet warns them you need to smarten up and they do and then they go back for a while and they'd serve God faithfully and then they'd fall back into their old patterns again and so at the end of the old testament it's like God had finished and he'd said to them look there will come a day when I'll send this hero this rescuer and then it was like 400 years of silence. And so the rabbis said there was 400 years of silence from God, like God was giving them the silent treatment. He had nothing else to say to them. He didn't send any more prophets. He didn't give them any more messages. It's like, just think about what I said. And so for 400 years, they're like, we're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be following him. He's supposed to be our God. We're supposed to be his people. And we've messed up so badly that he's not saying anything. Parents, you know that that's one of the most effective parenting techniques there is, right? Like it's really bad if mom and dad go silent. Oh, man, now it's coming. And so God gives them the silent treatment and they're waiting and they're going, the last thing, the message that God sent us was that he was going to send a hero. He was going to send a rescuer. There's going to be this dreadful day of the Lord. And so he's the Lord of heaven's armies. Like he can send armies to rescue them. All the power belongs to God. And now they feel like they're on their own, but they know there's this promise that it's not gonna last forever and God's gonna show up again and he's gonna rescue us. And so they're waiting and they're waiting. And the rabbi said, you know, God withdrew his spirit. Like he pulled back and he's waiting and they're waiting. And there's 400 years where there's nothing. There's 400 years where there's silence. But Malachi had told them, Ezekiel had told them, there would be this figure, this Elijah-type figure that would come. And that's how you'll know the Messiah is about to come, the rescuer is about to come. The Lord of Heaven's armies told us that he was going to send this hero and we would be all right. So when they see John show up and he's preaching repent like a prophet would and and wearing camel hair and locusts which makes him kind of like an Elijah figure uh prophets clothes were a thing and, uh, and prophets dressed a certain way and there are stories in the bible where it says you know in the old testament that you know there will come a day when people won't won't wear prophets clothes and claim to be a prophet they'll just walk around incognito it was like a thing even even other people that weren't prophets would dress like a prophet so people would listen to them And think they came from God. And so there was this certain way that you expected prophets to dress. And Elijah's prophet garb was well known from the scriptures in 2nd King chapter 1. It says, when the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you returned so soon? They replied, a man came up to us and uh, told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending me to Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you've done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will surely die. Right? So the, the king has sent out these messengers, and these messengers ran into this man who comes up to them and tells them, you know, that, uh, <clears throat> that the king shouldn't be looking for answers in, be- in Baal. And they shouldn't be looking for answers in the God of Ekron. They should be looking to the God who is God, the God of Israel. And so the prophet, uh, some prophet, some man says to the messenger sent from the king, go back and tell the king this, because you're messing around like that, you're going to die. And so it says, the king says to them, what sort of man was he? The king demanded, what did he look like? Like, who's this dude that told you this message that I'm going to die? And they replied, he was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Like, he was wearing hair and wearing a leather belt. And immediately the king goes, Elijah from Tishba. That's Elijah. Everybody knows Elijah wears that hairy vest and wears that leather belt. And he struts around like that. I know exactly who sent this message telling me I'm going to die. And so when John shows up, and he's wearing camel hair, he's all hairy, and he's got the leather belt around his waist, they're like, wait a minute, the last thing we knew 400 years ago, God was going to rescue us, and we've been waiting and waiting and watching for a sign and looking for the silent treatment to end with God so that God reestablishes with us, and he rescues us again like he did in the past. And we've been waiting, we've been watching, and we need a hero to rescue us. And we know exactly what it'll look like because there'll be this guy that comes before him getting things set up for him that'll be like Elijah. And there's this dude in the wilderness dressed like that, eating wild locusts and honey and saying, repent, like smarten up, turn around, face the other way. Do the opposite of what you're doing now. You've messed up. You need to be forgiven. You've sinned. Change your ways. Come and be baptized as an outward sign to everybody that you're sorry for the way you've been doing it. You're sorry for the way you've treated people so poorly. You're sorry for the fact that you don't represent God very well and you're not acting like you're his people. Show that you're sorry by getting this kind of baptism of sins. And so it's not surprising that they wondered, is this it? Has it come. Is this the beginning of our rescue? Is God about to do something really huge and finally we're going to get these Romans off our backs? Maybe. Maybe this John is doing the forerunner thing and if he's doing the forerunner thing, there's a guy that's coming soon and we don't know who he is and we don't know what it's like, but we know he's going to come and he's going to rescue us. And so if you look in John's gospel in the first chapter, near after all that beginning, you know, story about the beginning of, of creation, it it says that the people in, in verse, in chapter verse, or chapter one, verse 21, well then, they said, Who are you? They say this to John the Baptist. Well then, who are you? They asked, Are you Elijah? And John replies, he says, No. And he said, They said, Are you the prophet we're expecting? And he says, No. So he says he's not that, but he looks like that. And he seems like that. And he's got the message they would expect from that guy. So they're still kind of confused. And if John is this Elijah figure, then the hero, the Messiah, comes next. And he's going to end the silence. He's going to end the oppression. And he'll rescue them like Moses getting them out of Egypt and David getting them away from their enemies that were stronger than them. And he will be a hero worth following and then jesus shows up jesus shows up in the desert where john is and all these city people from jerusalem from from the capital are are out there and they're getting baptized by john because they're waiting for this military hero this lord of heaven's armies, right? This person that's going to be large and in charge and is going to rescue them from everybody who seems more powerful than them. This person is going to prove that God has all the power. And it's going to be great. And so they're out there with the hopes that this is it. All these city people who have made all these mistakes and lived ways that stray from God, and they're out there getting baptized for the forgiveness of their sins so they can set their, t- their ways straight so that finally they'll hear from God again. Finally, God will intervene again. Finally, God will rescue them from their enemies again, and he'll do it in such a decisive way because this hero, this Messiah will show up, and he'll lead them into battle, and they'll win every time. so Jesus shows up in the crowd. Only Jesus is like a country bumpkin. Like he's from Nazareth in Galilee. That's not the city, right? That's a place that everybody goes, what are you, a Galilean? It's like Woolerton, right? It's like this terrible place that, that, that they go, nobody who's anybody came from Galilee. Those are country hicks. They don't know anything. And Jesus is standing in the crowd with all these sophisticated people who are waiting for this incredible hero. And he's just this country guy, this carpenter, who's standing among the crowd and maybe standing out a little bit like a sore thumb. And they're there to get baptized. And baptism was this symbol, right? Baptism meant two things. It it was kind of a rite of entry, like you're joining something. and, And there was this baptism of purity so you're either a proselyte like a a convert or or you were or you were you were saying this purity thing like I'm, i'm i'm letting go of something i want to be cleansed i want my life to be clean and new and john's preaching repentance right he's saying come and make your heart clean come and show that you're really sorry for your sins and wash symbolically to say i just want to be made clean by god And so John, though he, he isn't talking about just, a, you know, join the club or, or, or do this thing and, and wash yourself in some casual way because, you know, I'm kind of sorry right now, but I'll go back to th- business as usual. He's going like there's this once and for all baptism that you're so serious that you're sorry for your sins and you want to live different and you're going to allow God to do what he wants to do in you. <clears throat> And Jesus is standing in the crowd while he's preaching about forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is there when he gives the invitation and he goes, If you want to be free of your sins, if you want to be washed, to be cleansed for your sins, if you know that you're a sinner, come on down and I'll baptize you. And Jesus is standing in the middle of that crowd. And then when he gives that call, come down and be baptized, Jesus steps out and Jesus starts walking towards John. And Mark says, look, this is how it began. John's out there. He's doing his things. He's the Elijah figure. Like maybe he said no to, in in John's gospel later, but, but he goes, look, he probably knew those stories. He, he, Chances are he knew all the birth narratives. But he goes, if you want to know where all of this revolution began, if you want to know how this happened, if you want to know the significance of who Jesus is, the quickest and most straight way to the heart of, of telling you who he is is to say, the, the Elijah figure we were all waiting for came. And he had the message that we expected him to have and he dressed like we expected him to dress and he came showing all the signs that he was the one getting things ready for the Messiah. And Mark's telling the story and he goes, you won't even believe what happened next because Jesus, Jesus is the hero of our story. But would you believe he came from Galilee? Would you believe he wasn't one of those sophisticates? He wasn't a smart military leader that was trained his whole life and, 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 and prepared for this. He was a guy from Galilee of all places. And he stood there in this crowd like a nobody. And when they gave the altar call to come, you know, up and get baptized for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus walked up to the front and said, I'll go. And he got down in the water And he let John put him under the water. And so Jesus comes and he lets lets John baptize him. And then it says, when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you're my beloved son. I'm fully pleased with you. Like the voice of God boomed from heaven and said, that's my boy. I am so happy with him and who he is and what he's doing. I don't know if you ever picked up on that detail but it says he saw like jesus saw this happen and all those city folks all those city folks that were kind of begrudgingly admitting that they were sinners because they thought they might help hurry god along so he would show up and rescue them and get what they wanted they didn't hear the voice and they didn't get the sign that jesus that Jesus is God and he's standing right there in the crowd with them, that the God they're waiting for to act is in the person of Jesus and they're not even expecting God to come as the Messiah. They're expecting the Messiah to just be, you know, somebody God sends and here is the Messiah and he's actually God. And all they can see is a simple guy from Galilee and the voice booms from heaven, but all they can hear is, well, John's just baptized another sinner And you and I know because we've read Mark's gospel and we've read Matthew's gospel and we've read Luke's story and we've read John's stories. And you and I know that he'd never sinned once. Like he was perfect. He was God. He was flawless. And he goes down there And he gets in that water and he does the thing that Jesus always does. He lets him take him under and he doesn't correct anybody. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't need this. You should all know that I've never made a mistake. I've never sinned once. He hears the voice and Mark wants us to know All these years later, but that crowd didn't get to hear. Jesus went down there, and his primary mission in that moment for those people was not to show off who it was. It wasn't to ride in on a white horse. It wasn't to walk in there with authority and tell them what to do. It wasn't even to allow God to authorize him in front of everybody. Jesus came there, and he identified with sinners like me and like you. He died a sinner's death, but long before he died a sinner's death, he came and he started his mission going from the beginning and at the end, I will identify with the sinners. I'm on the side of people who are sinners. I am with them. I am for them. Those are my people. Not because he had sin not because he was flawed like we're flawed, but because he loved us that much that he didn't mind if they misunderstood him or misjudged him. He didn't mind if they watched him and they thought, well, I wonder what shameful things he's done. He stood with me and he stood with them and they didn't even know. And they're expecting a hero to rescue them militarily. They expect that the biggest threat against them is Rome. And the biggest threat against them is they do not recognize God when he's standing right there. They don't know what God's about. They don't know that God is kind and loving and sacrificing. They don't know that he's humble enough to put himself in human form and in the lowest of human forms from the lowest of human places and show up like a country bumpkin that everybody thinks is nobody and nothing. And he's got nothing to prove to them. But Mark says, I want you guys to know that he did that for us. But if you're walking around dragging your sins behind you, if you're stuck with the baggage of your past and every bad decision you've ever made and everything that you've done that you know is wrong, you need to know that Jesus isn't out to get you. He's not calling for you to wallow and grovel in front of him. He just wants to know you're sorry. he's on your side and he'll identify with you he will stand with you not with those who would judge you and attack you and pick you apart and go see i knew he was a failure i knew she was a nothing and so he stands there and he identifies with sinners like you and me because that's who he is and that's what god does Jesus heard that voice, and they didn't hear it. Jesus knew who he was, and they didn't recognize it. Jesus had a mission. And the people that they disrespected all around them, Jesus held in such high esteem, not because they hadn't made those mistakes, not because their sins didn't matter because they did, not because the things in their hearts weren't evil because they were, That Jesus showed that he loved us anyway. And he walks out of a crowd of people that don't understand. And it doesn't bother him one bit to be embarrassed and to stand with us and to be baptized as a, like a sinner. Not because he had sins, but because he loves sinners. That's our Jesus. And it's not the kind of revolution they were looking for. It wasn't gonna turn everything around and turn everything upside down because he was like Rambo. But his way, his way is so much better because it's understated and it's humble and it's sacrificial and it doesn't look like much. But what he did in that moment that he would embarrass himself like that when he had nothing to be ashamed of and let me off the hook for all the things I am so ashamed of that I couldn't let go of. He's my hero. <laughs> He's somebody worth following. And they didn't see it. But Mark says, now you, you know what I know and he says, you should follow him like I follow him. If you want to know where it all began, that was the moment for me. When he went down and did that, I knew he was on my side. And I'd follow him anywhere after that. And so Mark tells his gospel and he's telling the first version that was ever told. And he says, the first thing you need to know is he did that. And, and I, I would follow him anywhere and you should too because that's a hero, that's a rescuer, that's our Messiah. Join me, won't you? (laughs) And so all the gospels have different stories. They start from different angles. They're talking to people with different kinds of issues, but Mark just gets right to the business. And I love him for that, because that's my Jesus. That's who he is and that's what he does. And he does that from the very beginning for you and me.